I'd rather my child have a shorter life and one that's happy than to have a long life and be so sad. Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shri and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want the season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself and still have a happy ending. In this episode and the next one, I'm going to talk to two different moms but about the same topic. In today's episode, you'll hear from Melissa and in the next one from Neva, both moms to transgender youth. While only about 2% of youth identify as transgender, it is unfortunately a group that has over three times the depression, suicide and victimization rates when compared to their cisgender peers. And so while a sensitive topic, it is one that needs to be talked about so we can educate each other on the challenges these mothers and families face. Each of these stories is different. Melissa has a 13-year-old Monty who now identifies as a girl and Neva has an 18-year-old Alex who now identifies as a boy. I hope you get a chance to listen to both these stories, understand how the coming out process can be so different and get a sense of how and why these mothers support their kids unconditionally and the challenges the children go through themselves. In today's conversation, we will hear from Melissa. Melissa, in her own words, had a pretty average childhood growing up in Toronto. She saw her parents take on traditional roles. Mom stayed home with Melissa and her sister while her dad went to work. Certain experiences in her childhood shaped how she's as a mother and made her want her kids to feel free, explore the world and to be who they are without any fear. Melissa now has seven kids. While we will get into the topic of today's conversation, having a transgender child in a few minutes, we started by talking a little bit more about what it's like to have such a large family. Given that you have seven kids, Melissa, like, are there any trade-offs that you've had to make along the years in the sense of, you know, your choice to have a career or how you budget for certain things in your household? What is it like on a day-to-day basis to have seven kids? When I had my first, I was 19. So I was like, fresh out of high school. I had a job, but it wasn't a career. So I took mat leave. And after the year was over, and it was time to go back to work. I sort of I looked at the cost of daycare. And I realized, oh, my God, like, I can't do this with a baby. And my oldest two, they're 14 months apart. So there was going to be two babies really soon. And so I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So I decided to stay home with them. And ever since like you have made that deliberate choice to be home with the kids? Pretty much. There's a huge gap between number six and number seven. So uh, number six is Katrina and she is seven years old. And so when she started kindergarten, I uh, got home from dropping everybody off and it was so quiet. And I was like, okay, now what? And I was bugging my dog being like, play with me. And so I was like, okay, I just better go to work. So I worked for a little while and now I'm on mat leave again. That's great. So then, you know, I'm curious to hear then, you know, are there any other kinds of choices you have to deliberately make when you have such a big household, like in the sense of when you plan a holiday or when you're trying to buy them certain things, like what are the kinds of things that you have to think about that you have to be like very conscious about when you have a larger family? Well, everybody has their own individual needs. So like one is allergic to wasp stings and another can't eat dairy. And so even when you're just planning 
a meal, you have to try and negotiate to accommodate everybody so that everybody has something that they can eat and you're having this big meal, but there's like different aspects to it instead of just here's dinner. Melissa, now I want to talk a little bit more about your daughter, Monty. Monty is your third. And yes. How old is she again? She's 14. She's 14. So Monty's trans, and that's the reason why, um, you know, I was really eager to share your story because I think in our world where it's becoming more and more common to have children sort of choose their identities and their sexual preferences and all of that, it's important for us to sort of have these conversations and not just build awareness, but build empathy. And not just for us as parents, but for these children, right? So everybody kind of understands where they are coming from, why they've made this choice. And I was particularly like so inspired by how you're handling Monty's transition and really wanted to share the story so we can, you know, raise some more awareness around trans children and what that means for their families and you know the choices that you have to make so I want to start off by hearing a little bit more about when did you first realize that Monty wasn't comfortable in her skin and wanted to be a girl and also you know it would be great if you could set the context for any of our listeners who might not be so familiar with what trans means and how that sort of applies to a child's life my daughter Charlotte, she's number four, um, and she just put it so simply when she was describing uh, transgender to one of her friends is that Monty was born into the wrong body. She feels like she's a girl, but she was born into a boy's body. Right. Yeah, that's that's very that really simplifies it and really yeah. sums it all up really well. Yeah. So when did you realize that Monty did not want to be in a boy's body anymore? It took me a little while. Um, Monty's got two older sisters. She was no stranger to tea parties and twirling around in party dresses. When I started to notice a little bit was when the kids would talk about like their dreams for the future, like what they wanted to be. Um, Monty would always say, when I'm a girl, I'm going to be, instead of when I grow up, I'm going to be. And so, how old was Monty at this point? About two. She finally had like the vocabulary to say, you know, I feel like I'm a girl uh, when she was about eight years old, but it was never this big, like dramatic event. I think a lot of people feel like a person's coming out story should be like huge and dramatic, but Monty's wasn't. It was just like a normal day, a normal conversation with my kid. And I feel like that's how it should be because it is normal. You know, kids at that age and even maybe a little bit older are exposed to so many different things, right? They're speaking, I mean, they're watching stuff on TVs or they're talking to their friends at school. And so how do you know that this is a real intention that the child has in your case that Monty really wanted to be a girl versus it's just something he or she is experimenting with based on what they're seeing or hearing from other people? So at first, like, we sort of kept it that way, like, okay, you know, you can be a girl, and there was no limits. When we were at home, there was no limits. She could dress how she wanted to, and then it just sort of, it just progressed. It didn't go away, and so she started wanting to go out wearing girls' clothes. Um, She wanted girls' pronouns, so we just sort of went with it. It was very, like, child-led. 
interesting and then but at some point do you also have to get some form of like a professional evaluation i mean for the lack of a better term where you know like a trained professional says yes this child does indeed want to be a different gender yeah yeah absolutely um when monty was 8 and saying directly like i'm a girl i feel like i'm a girl um i didn't know what to do like i didn't have any resources so i took monty to the pediatrician i was like here's the situation he referred us to a doctor that specializes in trans youth um and so he's been sort of following us this whole way along so obviously as an adult you are very thoughtful and you're very sensitive to a lot of these things but what was it like with monty's older siblings particularly again given they were older and presumably they were mature and they kind of understood what was going on what was it like navigating or helping them understand all of these nuances of what monty wanted while still managing like monty's own needs during this transition it was super easy just because monty's uh the way monty came out was just like a conversation everybody was at home it was the weekend so nothing we're always very open with each other so nothing was hidden from the older ones like it wasn't like monty and i you know off in my room having a private conversation and then came out and told everybody like everybody was sort of around and when the older two heard monty say this they just they went upstairs to their room and they dug out like a bunch of old clothes that didn't fit anymore all these clothes for monty to wear to be a girl and i i just thought it was so sweet they were just so understanding and so supportive right away that's incredible i do want to ask you though that you know from what you said about your own childhood right it sounds like it was fairly traditional in a fairly traditional setup so when you yeah. first heard monty talk about her desire to be a girl and not you know identify with what she was born with like what was your initial reaction right like were you had you already been exposed to a fair amount of like trans conversations like you know talk around like how the community was like dealing with these changes like what was it like the first time you heard it and i know you said it wasn't like boom here one day like monty said this it was more organic but i'm just curious to hear about for somebody who came from a fairly traditional setup to be able to sort of like process all of these changes it was i mean i wasn't exposed to anything really growing up um like everything just seemed pretty like just standard just your average like family or average like school system it was just very average but when monty came out i thought that i didn't know enough and so i like i just researched i just like i went to like literally pulled out my phone and went to the internet and just read everything everything i could amazing and that felt like you were pretty well equipped in terms of how to handle this moving forward pretty well um i did have my moments where like, there's this weird thing when your kid is telling you they're different than you thought they were i thought i had this sweet little boy and no he's a girl and so you're almost it's almost this strange situation where it feels like the one child dies and then the, the other one begins so you're mourning this this the death of this boy your son 
while you're holding your daughter and you're trying to like be like not show that you're also sad like I was happy for her but I was also sad it was a very strange situation it lasted a few months where I was sort of like oh like it's sad but she's so happy and seeing her so happy she just was so vibrant and she was never like that before living as a boy what was the transition like like you know when she was 8 you've talked to the therapist and you know they confirmed that you could support her in the identity that she wanted to choose for herself what was the transition like is that when she started dressing more as a girl like can you tell me a little bit more about what happened during that time period so after we spoke with this doctor um he suggested we keep things very like gender neutral at first and that went on for a few years where just anything goes it was you could be a boy if you wanted you could be a girl if you wanted it was just accept everything monty was pretty adamant that now i'm a girl i don't i don't want to be a boy and so she just sort of opted to dress like a girl and um she would say i'm she not he and started growing her hair long So yeah, it was just always Monty was just always I'm definitely a girl. There was no in between. After that, uh then we started looking into like um hormone therapy and and things like that. I do want to hear about at this point had you started talking to people in your larger community about Monty's wish to transition? Yeah, we had. So, can you tell me a little bit more especially about I think, you know, with school for example, it's easier to explain a lot of these things to adults but harder to kids. So, how did you set this up so Monty wouldn't feel at any point either bullied or ashamed or any of these other things that come with, you know, making a choice like this? Uh, I was scared for Monty. Like it's scary out there. There's so much hate. Like we have had Thai LGBTQ hate parade march up our street over the weekend. So it's it's kind of terrifying and so we went to the school and spoke to the principal um and explained the situation and he was incredibly supportive. He was very inclusive. He said he'd provide a gender neutral bathroom for Monty and like protection just in case if there was any bullying it would not be tolerated. Monty was very open and just sort of always handled things herself. She would just be like, "Yeah, I'm a girl. So what? I'm still me and we're still friends and that's how it is." And it went really well for her. And was it just that, you know, one day she decided to just wear whatever she wanted to even if it was more girly and she just went to school and kind of just integrated that into her life versus making it seem like, "Oh my god, it's such a big deal that now I'm trying to like identify with this other gender. This all just sort of happened naturally over the summer. So Monty finished one year one school year as a boy and then started the next as a girl. And she was 9 at this point. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So she basically goes in and her friends had kind of I'm assuming come to know of some of this over the summer at least her close friends. So right. she still had some support as she went into this and it wasn't like boom here i am like nobody knows that i went through this transition yeah it was just so seamless and like the kids being so young were so understanding like monty's best friend when when we told him he he cried for a few minutes and then he just was like you know what it's still monty we're still friends like this is i i support this this is fine 
And so I think they're a lot more accepting and understanding than we give them credit for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what was it like with other members of your community, like your family, your extended family, like your friends? What was, how were those conversations and how, how receptive were they? They were supportive. Some didn't understand. I was, it was hard for them. It was hard for them to grasp the pronoun switch and like you get used to it when you're saying he all the time. If you all of a sudden have to switch to she, it, it's hard and you stumble on your words and everything. But because Monty was so supported and like shown so much love through this whole process, she's really chill about the whole pronoun thing. If somebody messes up, she's just like, that's okay. I understand. I understand it's hard for you, just like it's hard for me. And so they just sort of work it out. So then at what point did you and Monty decide that the time was right for her to start taking hormones? And also, I would love again to hear a little bit more about why the hormones are necessary and how sort of that whole process is set up for um, kids going through a gender transition. The doctor that we were seeing would always sort of monitor Monty's hormone levels. Um, About every three to six months, there was a blood test that Monty would have to do and hormones would be measured. Once it showed that Monty was entering puberty. Um, She started on a medication called Lupron, which is an injection that's given every three months that essentially blocks the naturally produced hormones that would cause puberty. So it sort of bought Monty a little bit more time to like explore her feelings. The good thing about Lupron is that it's completely reversible. If at any point Monty decided she wanted to stop, she could just stop and it would have no lasting hormonal effects. So she would just stop the medication and then male puberty would just take over and um, everything would be fine. That lasted till around 13, from like 11 to 13. And then at 13, Monty told the doctor that she wanted to go through puberty and she wanted to grow boobs and chat about pimples with her friends. And like she wanted to be normal with her friends. That's when. Uh, she started estrogen. And is this pretty effective in that does it mimic pretty much like, you know, will she grow boobs and have pimples and all of these things like any other girl or are there some variations to it? Because Monty started so young and she's still taking Lupron. So she's taking both. So the Lupron blocks the male hormones and then we're adding in the estrogen. It's just like a normal girl's puberty. She's growing boobs, she's slamming doors, she's got pimples, she's doing everything. It's one thing to support your child with, that's fine, you want to wear different clothes, you want to um, grow your hair out, pretty easy stuff, right? I mean, it's not like it's fundamentally changing anything in your body. But then to support your child through more of sort of, you know, the medical side of things, which is supporting her to take hormones and all of that, like, was there any fear in the sense of, oh my god is this okay like am I doing the right thing by supporting her like was there any of that as you went through this process yeah of course but the doctor would talk to us about like these are your risks these medications are not generally used in children so I mean a lot of people suggest that maybe it's wrong or that it's maybe like human experimentation but like here's the thing you don't you don't know what's going to happen so say it, 
you know, there's a side effect that causes, you know, breast cancer because of the high levels of estrogen that Monty's taking that's not naturally produced in her body. If that were to occur and Monty down the line has a shorter lifespan because she's been taking these medications, she's at least had a life of happiness. Whereas if she wasn't taking these medications and she was forced to live in a body that she didn't feel she belonged in, then you, you run the risk of suicide and depression and self-harm and it's a life of misery. I'd rather my child have a shorter life and one that's happy than to have a long life and be so sad. Wow, I think it takes a lot of guts to have that perspective. It's incredible, you know, because I think with like, and the reason I asked that question specifically was that you know, as somebody who's gone through IVF, like I, I'm familiar with like the Luprons and taking the extra estrogen and all of that. And there's so much of chatter around like becoming estrogen dominant and cancer and all of that. So it's really incredible to hear your perspective about having a life that really feels authentic to who you are, even yeah. if that doesn't mean it's you're going to live to like 80 years in like the peak of your health, but at least having that life where you just identify more with it than a life where you're just miserable and unhappy. And I think especially the most important point over there is that, you know, you have higher rates of like suicide and depression. And I was reading a study the other day about how high suicide and depression rates are among trans youth for exactly what you said, because they are not supported. They don't have the same kind of community support. And there's this general feeling of you know not belonging anywhere so it's incredible that you know you're using that perspective to really support Monty in this journey thank you so what's happening right now Melissa with Monty so she's taking the medication she's Mm -hmm. on the estrogen as well as the Lupron and then what next like what happens over the next couple of years um so that's when you start getting into things that are more permanent like surgeries and things like that that generally doesn't happen until around 18 so Monty is going to live as a girl doing you know girl things female puberty and then eventually it will be the surgery and you have a general sense of you know how successful these gender reassignment surgeries are like do you know anybody else in the trans community who's gone through it successfully i actually do yeah um after monty came out um and it was sort of uh, announced and, know, and known to everyone, uh, a friend that I knew like in childhood came to me and said that her wife uh, is trans. And so they were married really young and then had a daughter. And then her husband at the time came to her and said, I'm now your wife. And um, so she had the surgery and it went really well. And she's doing amazing. So you know of people in the community who've been through this successfully. So it is nice for like Monty to sort of have examples that she can look up to in the event that she chooses to do it when she's 18. Yeah, exactly. There's things that I just, I mean, I just don't know. Like wearing a swimsuit for Monty is more difficult than just one of my other daughters throwing on their bathing suit and going swimming. It's harder for Monty. And so it's really helpful to have somebody where I can go to and say, okay, what about this? And, and they can explain it to me. It's really, really great. It sounds like it's been a good and happy process, right? And that you've gotten the support you needed. I mean, and you obviously, you seem like you're a pretty chill parent. I'm assuming that's what seven kids does to you. You kind of (laughs) just have to be like, uh, I got this, like I, I can figure anything out. 
And yeah. all my nerves are shot at this point. It's fine. Right. <laughs> and obviously, Monty seems like an amazing kid, like so mature and very clear about what she wants and doing it in a way that feels right to who she is. Right. So in some ways, Melissa, this is still a fairly unconventional choice, right? Like we live in big, great cities. Uh, You live in Toronto. I live in San Francisco. And they're progressive cities. There's a lot of awareness for a lot of um, LGBTQ, trans, all of that stuff. But I'm assuming that still there is some apprehension around making an unconventional choice. So I want to hear about like, why was it so important for you as a mother to support Monty through this journey versus I can also see a lot of mothers saying, I am not going to entertain these kinds of thoughts or, you know, going through a lot of resistance and ultimately supporting their kids, but not as easily and seamlessly as you seem to have done. So I want to hear about why was it so important for you to support Monty as soon as you realized that she wanted to be somebody else? In Ontario, where we live, it's about 47% of trans youth have thought about suicide. 19% have attempted it. And I just think it's so heartbreaking that so many of our children consider this as an option because they're not able to be who they truly are. And so it's not just for Monty alone that I'm supportive. It's for my other kids. It's for their friends, their parents. It's for everyone to set an example because it's a normal issue. It needs to be normalized and it's just being who you are is normal and it doesn't have to become a problem. It's just normal. But do you ever get into, you know, any heated debates with people in your community around whether this is right or wrong? Or do you generally tend to surround yourself with people who are supportive of this whole journey? Sometimes, you, you know, you hear some things, but it's generally with people who have known Monty, like known of Monty as being a boy and then they're not very close. I, I don't surround myself with people who would behave that way or think that way. I'm usually with a lot of open and like-minded people, but every once in a while there is a comment, but it's about happiness. And so that's just always my response. It's about, you want your kid to be happy. You want your kid to be healthy. and in order for Monty to be healthy, she also needs to be happy. And so it's just, it's so simple. If you, if your kid has cancer, you don't say, no, I'm not going to provide them with chemotherapy. You, you seek out the treatment so that they get the help that they need. That's, that's all I've done. That's incredible. And if you think there's one thing that was instrumental in supporting Monty through her journey, what do you think that one thing was? Just love just being present, being there, listening, listening to her feelings and going after the life that she wants. Do you have any advice for families who want to say the right thing, who want to ask the right questions of families like yourself and be supportive of kids like Monty? Like, is there any advice or just, you know, any like, say this or don't say that? Like, is there anything like that that you'd like to share? I mean, I would avoid slang words, um, but really, I mean, just ask. Treat them as you would anybody else. They're human. They're, they're a real person. So you just, just ask. If you don't know, just ask. And ask about like how you're feeling, what you're going through, what the transition process is like? Yeah. Yeah, ask them what they go through, what pronouns they prefer. Yeah, just, just ask. 
what I gathered from all of our conversations so far is that you clearly know what you're doing. You seem to research stuff and you're very confident and you really own this whole thing. Have you always been like that? No, no, I didn't know what I was doing when this all started. I was sort of surprised a little bit and I was concerned. I didn't know what to do. And it's scary when you don't know what to do for your child. And so what do you think is the best thing to do at that point when you're in a situation like yourself where, you know, neither had you been exposed to it growing up and nor did you have a lot of people in your community experiencing the same thing? Like what advice would you have for another mom who's in a similar situation? I would say educate yourself, talk to uh, professionals, talk to your doctor, find other people in your community, reach out to people on social media, talk to other people who know what it's like, and then just love your kid and support them. Let them tell you how they're feeling, trust their feelings, and just make sure that you're making an informed choice. I reached out to Melissa on Instagram as I was searching for moms who had a transgender child and were open to sharing their story. As you know, so much of what we do at Big Little Choices is not just about sharing these stories, but about creating empathy and awareness about what society thinks is unusual or unconventional. And I'm so happy that I did choose to talk to Melissa because her authenticity and courage in helping Monty's transition is incredible. I can only imagine how hard a gender transition might be for a child, and perhaps equally so for a mother to help their child through the process. My favorite part of the interview was hearing from Melissa about supporting her kids through difficult times with love and compassion and how it's so important to guide them through a life that's happy and authentic versus perfect and what society deems normal. We wrapped up our chat with some final thoughts on what it takes to make an unconventional choice and particularly when it's led by your child. Love your kids. Love them unconditionally. Support them. Ask questions, research, educate yourself, make an informed choice, and then question yourself again and again and again. Make sure that you're still on the same page with yourself. And what about, you know, fear of judgment from other people? It's going to be there anyway, but when your kid is so happy, it stops mattering as much as it would normally it just doesn't matter anymore if your kid is happy and they're smiling and you see a huge change in them and they're full of life they're more vibrant than they used to be when they were sad whatever anybody else says it doesn't matter thank you for listening to this episode and i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back soon with another interview and until then if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about let me know